All right, so we're going to be reading from Daniel 2. In the second year of the reign of Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams. His spirit was troubled, and sleep left him. Then the king commanded that the magicians, the enchanters, the sorcerers, and the Chaldeans be summoned to tell the king his dreams. So they came in and stood before the king. And the king said to them, I had a dream, and my spirit is troubled to know the dream. Then the Chaldeans said to the king in Aramaic, O king, live forever. Tell your servants the dream, and we will show you the interpretation. The king answered and said to the Chaldeans, The word from me is firm. If you do not make known to me the dream and its interpretation, you shall be torn limb from limb, and your houses shall be laid in ruins. But if you show the dream and its interpretation, you shall receive from me gifts and rewards and great honor. Therefore, show me the dream and its interpretation. The Chaldeans answered the king and said, There is not a man on earth who can meet the king's demands, for no great and powerful king has asked such a thing of any magician or enchanter or Chaldean. The thing the king asks is difficult, and no one can show it to the king except the gods, whose dwelling is not with flesh. Then Daniel went to his house and made the matter known to Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, his companions, and told them to seek mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery. So Daniel and his companions might not be destroyed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. Then the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision of the night. Then Daniel blessed the God of heaven. Therefore Daniel went in to Arioch, whom the king had appointed to destroy the wise men of Babylon. He went and said thus to him, do not destroy the wise men of Babylon. Bring me in before the king, and I will show the king the interpretation. This was the dream. Now we will tell the king its interpretation. You, O king, the king of kings, to whom God of heaven has given the kingdom, the power, and the might, and the glory, and into whose hand he has given, wherever they dwell, the children of man, the beasts of the field, and the birds of the heavens, making you rule over them all. You are the head of gold." Another kingdom inferior to you shall arise after you, and yet a third kingdom of bronze, which shall rule over all the earth. And there shall be a fourth kingdom, strong as iron, because iron breaks to pieces and shatters all things. And like iron that crushes, it shall break and crush all these. And as you saw the feet and toes, partly of potter's clay and partly of iron, it shall be a divided kingdom. But some of the firmness of the iron shall be in it, just as you saw iron mixed with soft clay." And as the toes of the feet were partly iron and partly clay, so the kingdom shall be partly strong and partly bitter. Sorry, brittle. As you saw the iron mixed with soft clay, so they will mix with one another in marriage. They will not hold together just as iron does not mix with clay. And in the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that shall never be destroyed, nor shall the kingdom be left to another people. It shall break in pieces all these kingdoms, and bring them to an end, and it shall stand forever. Just as you saw that a stone was cut from a mountain by no human hand, and that it broke in pieces the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold. A great God has made known to the king what shall be after this. The dream is certain, and its interpretation sure. Then King Nebuchadnezzar fell upon his face and paid homage to Daniel, and commanded that an offering and an incense be offered up to him. The king answered and said to Daniel, Truly, your God is God of gods and Lord of kings and a revealer of mysteries, for you have been able to reveal this mystery. The word of the Lord. You may be seated. Thank you, Jonathan. 
So part of the, uh, the task that uh, preachers have whenever we go through a whole book of the Bible, um, and especially even as you go through different chapters, is to figure out how, what verses do you uh, put up on the screen or what verses you put in the bulletin and, uh, so that people don't get completely overwhelmed. And so I had to do some editing, and there's some things that are left out. And even uh, Daniel's prayer that you saw up on the screen, it just what, you know, decided at the last minute not to put it into the bulletin. That's, be, that's not because I don't think it's a part of God's word. Uh, it is, and we need to read that. So when you have time to read the entire chapter of uh, the second chapter of Daniel, uh, I invite you to read that on your own. Uh, but there are, unfortunately, there's some things you have to just leave out so that uh, we're not going too long on a couple of things. But as you already have guessed, we are going through continuing a series in the book of Daniel. Last week, uh, Pastor Howard set it up for us uh, wonderfully uh, with that first chapter, uh, setting the stage and showing us uh, that the part of one of the, the major themes of the book of Daniel is to help those who are uh, either curious about following God or those who are following the Lord to figure out how do we live faithfully in exile? How do we live faithfully in, in, in Daniel's case, in his companion's case, is Babylon, right? And in, in that sense, metaphorically speaking, we're all sort of living in Babylon. We're not in the place where we belong. And we have plenty of evidence to know that we are not in the place where we belong. Like, sure, this place is our home and earth is what we were made for, but everything is not the way that it should be. But we always long for something new, something different. And that's because we were made for something that was supposed to be whole, that was supposed to have a lot of harmony and order and peace. And so we, we long for that. And in a sense, we're in exile. And then those who are spiritually united to God through Jesus Christ also know that God has prepared a home for us, and we're, we're not home yet. And so there's this, there's this exile. But until we get there, while we're on this pilgrim highway, as the saints used to say, what do we do? How do we live faithfully in the midst of that? And as we read Daniel, we, we get some hints and some instruction from the Lord himself, a, a word from God on how to live faithfully in exile. And so we, um, we've already seen that Daniel and his companions have been uh, ripped away from their homeland in Judah, and uh, this happened around 60 BC, and that uh, you know, the ruler of the, the, huge, the biggest empire at the time uh, was King Nebuchadnezzar, and he ruled the Babylonian Empire. And so he would just went around taking people, uh, conquering different places, uh, putting his stamp on it, and taking for himself the cream of the crop, the young elite, the folks who uh, who were, who were learned, and that he would begin to enculturate them so that they could then be effective leaders for the sake of his empire. And so we begin to, to continue to wrestle with this and think about, okay, what does it look like for us as we live in, in exile and we live, we find ourselves in different places where someone else may have a different agenda for us? How are we supposed to live faithfully? And if we begin to listen to God and believe that he speaks to us, what does he have to say? And what does he have to say in this, this kind of scenario that we are, we're all in and we sort of struggle with in some way or fashion? What does God have to say about our work? You know, because is, is our work even important to God like in what we're doing? Right? I think over 40% of Americans express dissatisfaction with their jobs. And that's a statistic that I lifted from off the Internet. I'm sure is larger than that. It's probably 99.9% of Americans are dissatisfied with their jobs. 
but our work also takes up more than 50% of our lives every single day. So if God doesn't have a word for our work, then his word is missing in probably most of our lives. But the good news is that God does have a word for our work, and I believe that it's here for us this morning. What can we do as we live in this exile, dealing with the uh, um, corruption and loss and suffering and our longings for something better? What does that have to do with our jobs? What does that have to do with our work? And I think for, for many of us, uh, we, we take that stance of living for the weekend, right? That old 80s song, everybody's working for the weekend. Remember that? Some of you old enough remember that song? You know, and uh, you know, you just, you can't wait to get there, right? Friday's coming. Friday is the best day of the week, right? Friday night just got paid, right? You know, you know that, right? And you, you, you can't wait because work just feels like a curse. <laughs> and, 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 you know, and we learn from scripture that, you know, you begin to go back and, and, you know, and I think part of the issue here is that maybe sometimes we begin in the wrong part of scripture when we talk about our lives and what spiritual life is all about. We, t- we totally skip Genesis and maybe we begin somewhere in the gospels and we forget that God created work and work was good. And before sin even entered into the picture, that we were made to, to cultivate um, what God's good creation and, and bring forth its potential. Uh, so that work is something that is actually a part of God's plan of redemption. So there's good news for us this morning regarding our work. It doesn't have to be a life in which we're sort of condemned to just live for the weekend. And this is also an important question because so many times we, we struggle with, okay, uh, I, I've got this religious part of my life, whatever that is, whether that's being involved with, you know, doing my yoga thing or going on a hike or being involved in more religious stuff like, like this morning what we're doing, being in a church and worshiping. There's that part of myself and then there's the rest of me throughout the week. So there's, there's this Sunday sort of life and then there's everything else. And there's no way for these things to connect to each other. Has, is there a vision to, that God has given to us to help us achieve the work of our dreams? And the word for us this morning is yes. I think to be able to, to get there, um, I want to point out three particular things from this text. And yes, I'm going to use some alliteration because preachers like to do that. But we need to, we need to be able to relive and receive and reimagine. We need to relive, receive, and reimagine. Looking at this text, we can see that we need to be able to relive the nightmare. Nebuchadnezzar has a nightmare, not just one, but recurring over and over and over again. He struggles, right? The brother can't even sleep. He's got a serious case of insomnia. And no, no medicine can help him, right? No, no he, can't, he can't do a spot of tea, and that, that, that doesn't help him. Right? He, 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 well, you know, hanging out with his friends, Netflix doesn't help, nothing helps. Right? And, and so he, he, he consults his, his, the, the futurists and the historians and the journalists and the analysts of his day, right? the, the enchanters and the mag- magicians and all these different people. And he's troubled by this nightmare because this nightmare signifies something 
about what he has worked for, his kingdom. And it signifies that his kingdom is fragile. Now, I did, this wasn't in the text, but if you, you go back in, uh, in, in chapter 2, you see an even greater description of this dream when it, it finally comes to him through Daniel that you know, there's, there's a statue and that it, it comes crumbling down because of a stone that comes and hits it at the base, hits it at the feet, and the whole thing comes crumbling down. He's, he's troubled by this. He doesn't, he doesn't like the financial forecast, if you will, that he's getting through this nightmare. And he's wondering if his kingdom is going to be able to stand. His work is fragile. It's subject to brokenness. He believes that this nightmare is really concerned about him. And if you look at it carefully, you will see that it is. And certainly there are parts that are about him. And that his work will literally break down. Now, here's my question for you. What keeps you up at night about your work? What helps you to live in a state of insomnia, right? Unresolved conflicts, fear of termination, hectic deadlines, a coworker who might derail a project that you've been working on tirelessly, students that you have to face on Monday who suffer from severe behavioral issues, right? Your workplace is not what it should be. Now, think about your workplace <laughs> compared to the workplace for these enchanters and magicians who are working for Nebuchadnezzar. I mean, their condition was pretty terrible. I mean, look, I mean, gosh, look at this here. He says, going back to um, verse 1, so he has a dream, right? And he calls them in. And their job is to interpret things so the king could have success, right? And so it says here, then the, verse 4, sorry. Then the, the Chaldeans said to the king in Aramaic, oh, oh, king, live forever. Tell your servants the dream and we will show the interpretation. The king answered and said to the Chaldeans, the word for me is firm. Like, uh, don't even try it. Um, if you do not make known to me the dream and its interpretation, you shall be torn limb from limb and your, house, your houses shall be laid in ruins. When's the last time your boss said that to you? That's terrible. I mean, who can work in those kinds of conditions, right? I mean, these guys have probably worked hard to get where they are. You know, all kinds of certificates and degrees and education and stuff like that. And it's come down to this. You know, I, I've worked so hard. And, and now, like, it's all going to come crumbling down in a minute, right? That's hard to live and, know, and, and to work in those kinds of conditions. And we face similar kinds of things, maybe not to that extreme, but, you know, we work with unfair wages. We work in a place in places where we have an absentee boss or there, there are ethnic and gender microaggressions, right? Where we, we, all, we may feel some disconnect from the mission of the company or the network that we belong to. We just, we can't rest. There's no, there's no rest for us. Uh, uh, and, you know, there may be some times when our, when our jobs are humming, when everything is, you know, all five cylinders are kind of going. But most of the time, that thing ain't working. Our work just isn't working. But it's, it's, it's not just our workplaces that, that suffer from, from brokenness. It's also our communities and our homes, right? The other places where we work, the other places where we labor. I mean, even if you're a super spiritual kind of person, and, and you know, the, there, there are few things more spiritual than simply loving your neighbor. Just loving your neighbor, for goodness sake. But even that 
is wrought with brokenness. I remember one time when I was, when I was in college, I thought I was doing something special because I'm like, okay, I'm in you know, my, my early 20s and I moved away from home. And I'm like, this is a chance for me to sort of like practice some kind of homemaking ability. And I have my roommate and stuff. So I'm like, yeah, I'm going to contribute toward dinner and make sure that, you know, we always have something on the table and that sort of deal. I'm not going to be that roommate that's always eating but never cooking, you know, that sort of deal. Although I kind of do some of that now. Sorry, honey. Um, but, <laughs> but, you know, but, but always eating and never cooking. And I'm just like, oh, yeah, I'm going to contribute that sort of deal. And then I remember one time I went to the store, got all the different ingredients, brought stuff back. Now, a lot of stuff was in boxes and had recipes on the back. But, you know, I was in my 20s and I'm a guy, so you know, give me a break. Uh, but anyway, so, I, you know, I'm making the meal and I'm putting it together and frying stuff in there and it smelled good. I'm chopping it up. My roommate comes in. He's like, oh, this is great. And I'm like, all right, this is the kind of environment that I work. I'm working for a harmonious you know, apartment where my roommate and I are taking care of each other. This is going to be great. And he sat down and he ate that food, and he liked it, and then he said this, hey, where, where's the rest? Where, where's the rest? Uh, oh, um, I didn't think about seconds, right? I just, I, I just thought, you know, I mean, we two, we two big brothers, too, up in there, we want to eat. And I just, I just didn't think about it. I didn't calculate correctly and stuff like that, right? I, I didn't make enough food, and he was mad. Um, I, he was mad. I, I, he probably, I don't think he talked to me for the rest of that day. <laughs> Uh, it, was, it, was, it was bad. Uh, but, you know, you, you would, our, we intend to build things, right, and to make places that will be not only for our prosperity, but for the prosperity of others and our workplaces and our communities and in our homes. But all these places are wrought with brokenness. It doesn't always work, right? I mean, we try to do right now communities, and we, we face a lot of hard issues. I mean, some of you know that hey, you know, I, I, I'm for, you know, equal housing. And so, you know, I want to move into the community and, and help out and be a part of helping everyone to be lifted with the tide, you know, financially, those who are lower income and middle income. And so I'm moving into the community. But guess what? When you moved into the community, you brought up the property value. Like there's just, and then you just, you're part of the problem now. You are, you gentrified the whole thing just by moving in to help. <laughs> right? So, I mean, how do you, I mean, what, what do we do with that? Um, so, if we're trying to live our dreams through our work, good luck with that. <laughs> right? Because we work in a broken world. Therefore, our work itself is broken. And the, 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 the enchanters and magicians, they say to Nebuchadnezzar, they, you know, they say to him, they're like, look, here in verse, verse 10, he said, they, they said, there's not a man on earth who can meet the king's demand. For no great and powerful king has asked such a thing of any magician or enchanter or Chaldean. The thing that the king asks is difficult, and no one can show it to the king except the gods. Guess what? Whose dwelling is not with flesh. O king. No help is coming. You have to be insecure for the rest of your life. You got to be insecure for the rest of your life. That's it. That's a nightmare. Okay? But now the nightmare gets worse because we actually contribute to the nightmare. 
It's not just the, it's not just that our work conditions are broken and you know, wherever we work, you know, at home and community and a workplace, but that we actually contribute to it. Look again at verse 3. It says, and the, and the king said to them, I had a dream, right? This ain't Dr. King. This is King Nebuchadnezzar, right? This ain't, this ain't the mountaintop with, you know, races and people getting together. You know, this is a different kind of dream now. He says, he says, he says I had a dream, and my spirit is troubled to know the dream. Then the Chaldeans said to the king in Aramaic, O king, live forever. Tell your servants the dream, and we will show the interpretation. King answered and said to the Chaldeans, the word for me is firm. If you do not make known to me the dream and its interpretation, you shall be torn limb from limb, and your houses shall be laid in ruins. And then later on, this is not in your bullets, it's not printed. But in verse 12, it says, after he heard these things, he said, because of this, the king was angry. And very furious and commanded not just that these guys be destroyed, but all the wise men of Babylon be destroyed. Every single one, including Daniel and his companions who are like, what? We weren't even there. <laughs> I mean, they all, they all got to die. All the, you, you, you all have to go. And, and maybe, maybe now like, we think about ourselves and, and, our, and our work, our, our labor. And maybe we don't threaten children, right? We don't, we, don't threaten, uh, we don't threaten to put a hit out on people who report to us, right? like Nebuchadnezzar has done. But we have a way of making our own children feel smaller than they already are when our work isn't working out, don't we, as parents? Make them feel really small because they're not... We had a picture, a vision of how things should be, and they're not in line. Tear them down. Or what about the times in which, um, you know, fellas, when we're at the job and, you know, you're like, oh, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm down with me too, you know? But then the brothers get to say in that locker room talk, well, you know women, ha, ha, ha. And we're just silent, don't say anything, don't challenge it. Or worse, we get involved in it, <laughs> laughing, all that kind of stuff. But part of the problem, right? I mean, Nebuchadnezzar, he, he needed these wise men, right? He needed them to be able to do their job, and they, they, they couldn't fulfill it. I mean, he was, he was counting on them in order to, to do his work. I mean, he, he really needed, I mean, these were necessary employees. If he was going to rule and he was going to figure out like, what was working in his favor so that he could conquer and be successful. He needed these enchanters and these wise men to be able to do their job. He needed them in their role, regardless of how effective they were or not. He needed them to at least be alive. And yet he was willing to kill them all. I mean, and put all of his dreams in jeopardy. Because it, it was, his, his work was no longer working, and they were no longer working for him. Because of his own insecurity, he was willing to take down everybody else. All of his dreams could come crashing down. I mean, think about this. Once the enchanters were gone, what are you going to do now? Like, these guys were your meal ticket. And then now you're going to get rid of all of them. What are you supposed to do? What's your plan B? There is no plan B. I'm insecure. I'm, 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 I'm angry. Everybody's gone. <laughs> Just 
I, I, what, what's going to happen? Right? But, but it's, it, it is, it, it, it's how it is uh, with us as well when we can't trust anyone beyond ourselves. When we don't think that anyone beyond us is working for our good. We get in, in the same position. We act and behave and think the same way that Nebuchadnezzar does here in this text. We take our, our actions and our feelings into our own hands, and we hurt the very things that we've been trying to build. We contribute to the nightmare. But if we relive this nightmare, it reveals something else. It reveals that our work itself can actually become our God. Look at verse 37. All right, so this is, this is you know, Daniel, he, he's, he's speaking to Nebuchadnezzar now, and he, he, has, he, he, he sought God, right? He, he thought, man, you know, they, he just, Nebuchadnezzar just sent out the forces to kill all of us. Daniel said, wait a minute, don't do that just yet. Don't kill us. You know, let, let me see, let me find out. I may have an interpretation. He goes to his friends and he says, let us pray. Let us help, let's see if God will help us and provide an interpretation. God answers that prayer. Hallelujah. He comes to the king and he's about to pre present an interpretation. And he says this, he says, you, O king, the king of kings, to whom the God of heaven has given the kingdom, the power and the might and the glory, and into whose hand he has given wherever they dwell, the children of man, the beasts of the field, and the birds of the heavens, making you rule over them all. You are the head of gold. Another kingdom inferior to you shall arise after you, and yet a third kingdom of bronze, which shall rule over all the earth. And there shall be a fourth kingdom, strong as iron, because iron breaks to pieces and shatters all things, and like iron that crushes, it shall break and crush all these." And as you saw the feet and toes, partly of potter's clay and partly of iron, it shall be a divided kingdom, but some of the firmness of iron shall be in it, just as you saw iron mixed with the soft clay. And as the toes of the feet were partly iron and partly clay, so the kingdom shall be partly strong and partly brittle. Now get the image here. He talks about what he tells him to dream. Okay, this is God has revealed to me what you saw. There's a head of gold. There's chest and arms of silver. There's a, the stomach, you know, the gut, the midsection, and the, and the thighs that are bronze. And that there are also legs and feet of iron, and those feet are also iron and clay. And what, what does that image sound like? It, it, it sounds like a statue, doesn't it? This, this weird, frightening-looking Sculpture. Like, who made this thing? <laughs> but it's more than just a statue. It's an image. Like, Nebuchadnezzar would have understood what an image was. That an image was created, it was supposed to be a symbol of who was in charge of this place. The king, when he, he knew that whenever, whenever he went about and, and conquered different parts of the, of the known world for for Babylon, he would set up images that either represented him or represented the, the God, or a particular God that, that represented him or something that represented his kingdom so that those who had been conquered knew who was in charge. That kingdom, that image stood in his place to let you know whose kingdom this is. 
And so there's an image that appears in Nebuchadnezzar's dream to challenge his kingship. Right? This grotesque sort of sculpture was a composite of the greatest efforts of humanity throughout the ages to claim ownership over, every, over the entire world, in which in the world, as we learn from Scripture, belongs to God. So in a sense, what Nebuchadnezzar was seeing was the world system. And you've probably heard that phrase before, people talk about the world system, right? And that it is, it is basically a posture that says this, whatever it is before me, this place, this country, this continent, whatever it may be, it is mine. It is not God's. It belongs to me. Now, it's really easy these days to take cheap shots, I think, at our political institutions because, you know, so many of them do look like grotesque forms with no unity, right? They're just filled with competing little kingdoms, looking shiny on the outside but very flimsy at the bottom. They're standing on a feet of clay and can be taken down at any point in history. Right? And, and our human empires have definitely come and gone, for sure. Like, if we have that long view of history, we know that human empires come and go. But what about our personal ones? What about our individual empires? I mean, we have them. We have them, don't we? I mean, think about the dreams that you have for your work. And again, not just your workplace, but any place in which you labor. Right? We're committed to certain kinds of work in our homes and in our communities and our workplace. And what would you do if those dreams for your work came crashing down? How would you respond to that? Would you be devastated? Would you be furious? Right? If you need your work goals to hold, to stay solid, and firm so that you can feel significant and give you dignity, then your work has become your God. So we put more weight on our work than it was created to hold. Like our work just wasn't meant to bear that kind of weight. It wasn't meant to bear the weight of our dignity. Right? But, but Nebuchadnezzar clearly needs his productivity to hold up his identity. And, and he, needs it, he needs it to be done so badly that he's willing to destroy others in order to save himself. He can't rest. He can't spend time with his friends, if he had any. And, and, like, he, he, can't, he, can't, he doesn't have any time. Like, I, you know, I don't, I don't have any time to play around with my family. You know, I, I, I don't have time for that. You know, I, I, I don't have time to, to pray. You know, I don't, I don't have time to do that. Or, you, know, you know, Sabbath, what is that? What, I, don't, I don't even know what that is. Who, who does that? That's a, a luxury. I don't have time to do that. I mean, it, we have this deep, drive within us to find ourselves and to confirm and affirm ourselves through our work. And as we follow that drive, we drive ourselves and others around us into the ground until we are all dust. I mean, in this work, have you feeling like dust lately? <laughs> you feeling that? Okay. So you relive that nightmare but we also need to receive the light of God's word. Maybe I received the light because it, it's just like when, if you remember when you were a child and you had a nightmare and you're struggling, you know, you didn't know, and maybe you yelled out or something like that. 
and then your mama came into the room, turned that light on. How comforting was that? When your mama came into the room and brought you back to reality, and you knew that that nightmare was, that was just a dream, right? that, you are, that, that something else is truer than what you experienced, we need to be able to receive the light of God's word to bring us back to ultimate reality. What do I mean by this? Look again at verse 10. The Chaldeans answered the king and said, There is not a man on earth who can meet the king's demand. For no great and powerful king has asked such a thing of any magician or enchanter or Chaldean. Chaldean. The thing that the king asks is difficult, and no one can show it to the king except the gods, whose dwelling is not with flesh. Right? All their hard work, all their contributions to society, to the empire, all the training that they had done was about to come to nothing. And that's how it is for some of us when we relive and confront the nightmare of our work. We realize that we've graduated, we've won competitions, we've showed up at the march, right? We forgave our enemies. And yet, if what they have declared here in this text is true, particularly in verse 11, what we have done hundreds of years from now won't matter. It just won't. No one will remember anything that we've done. If there is no God, then it, our life is like a, it's like a sci-fi movie. You know, some of these sci-fi movies where they, they go into the future and all that's left is this grand and bright, beautiful universe, but there's no humanity. Hey, do you see what's coming here? Do you see what coming? Do you see what Daniel is about to bring to these wise men? They declare that God does not dwell with humanity, and yet the God of heaven speaks to them through Daniel himself. Daniel himself is proof that God dwells with us. Right? Just as the, the, uh, the theologian Francis Schaeffer said, he is there and he is not silent. The God of heaven has broken into our, our earthly nightmares to save us, and by his word he shines light into the dark nightmare, declaring that we are not alone, but he is at work in the world that he made for us. He did not leave Nebuchadnezzar and Babylon without a witness, but he brought Daniel and his friends for this very purpose. And God has not left us without a witness either. Because I heard the Apostle John say that the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. The word who is Jesus declared that he did not come into the world to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. God is at work in us and around us fighting against evil and restoring his holiness and his justice and his peace because he loves his creation. Now, if you know anything about the uh, Babylonian history, what probably, if you take in the English class or anything like that in high school or college, you know about this body of li literature called the Enuma Elish. 
is the creation myth of the Babylonians. You read that thing, God is not like that at all. God does not love creation at all. God does not love people at all. We are here because some God got his head cut off and the blood from his head mixed into the soil and people came out of it. I mean, this is the, this is the imaginary of the Babylonians. Can you, can you see now how, why, why Nebuchadnezzar was such a violent person? Right? I mean, this is his religion. And so that there was, there, there, there's, no, there's nowhere in there a, a imaginary for a God that actually has such a divine and deep love for his people. Like what Daniel declares to them through this dream. Does your work life matter to God? Yes, it does. But I need you to listen here to, as I thought about this, I was encouraged by um, the anti-Nazi activist uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer. And he says this, he says the following. He says, it is not that God is the spectator and sharer of our present life, however important that is, but rather that we are the reverent listeners and participants in God's action in the sacred story, the history of the Christ on the earth. And only so far as we are there is God with us also today. And then the theologian Amy Sherman, she says, she says that, our, that our Father loves us enough to invite us into co-laboring with him for the healing of the world. Right? Daniel tells us that there's, there's a stone that is cut out from a mountain and it hadn't been done by human hands. And so we assume rightly that a divine hand must have done it. That there's a stone that is cut out from the Lord himself. And that stone is God's eternal kingdom, which will one day fill the entire earth. An end to cruel leadership. An end to pollution an end to oppression, an end to violence, and an end to disease. All of our efforts will not and cannot be in vain because God is at work. The God of heaven is bringing heaven down to earth. And this revelation, this light that is given from his word should give us hope for our real world, hope for the true reality in which we all live. It should shape our prayers. Just as Jesus taught us, your kingdom come, right? Your will be done. Where? On earth as it is in heaven. It should shape our work, what we do, our labor, wherever we labor, it should align with God's coming kingdom and it should align in his way, right? So let us receive the light of God's word. Let us receive it that we might have hope and that it might shape our prayers and our love and our pursuit of justice and our pursuit of mercy in every place that God has placed us. Let us receive the light of God's word regarding our work in his world. It belongs to him. Now, there's, there's a last point that I have to point out here, and I said it earlier. We need to, we need to reimagine. We need to be able to reimagine our place in the world. Now, why, why do I bring this up? You have to look carefully at Nebuchadnezzar's response to God's revelation. This is really interesting. I thought this, this cracks me up. Every time I read the thing, it's great. All right, so he says, 
looking at it, verse 46, he says, then, it says, then Nebuchadnezzar fell upon his face. Wow. And he fell upon his face. What, the king has done that? Paid homage to Daniel. Whoa. All right. And commanded that an offering, an incense be offered up to him. In verse 47, the king answered and said to Daniel, truly, your God is God of gods and Lord of kings. Hallelujah. And a revealer of mysteries. Wow. For you have been able to reveal this mystery. Wow, I mean, what? man, that's an incredible statement, Nebuchadnezzar. I mean, and then he says, so you picture it. He's like, he's looking, he's looking around the people that have all the, the best offices, you know, and there, and he's like, you, get up, get out the office, right? It's like, give that to Daniel. Make sure he has, like, the American Express black card. Give that to him. Make sure he gets the company car. Make sure he's got, right, and he's got the hookup. And, and some of us, we look at that, and we say, hallelujah, God, that's what I want, right? I can't wait. You know, if, if, I, if I just hold on and do God's will, I know I'm going to get that office and I'm going to get the, you know, I'm going to get the, the nice company car and somebody's going to give me the car. You know, I, I like this part. This is, this is the best part of the text right here. I want to hold on to this, right? So, so he, gets, he gets the good office. But then look at this. Look at this. He says in verse 47, he said, he said, truly, your God is God of gods, right? But he didn't say, my God. He didn't say that. No, 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 no. He, he, he said, your God, your God. So here, here's what happened. <laughs> Daniel breaks down the dream. And Nebuchadnezzar is like, wow, I got the hookup. Like, this is, this is great. You actually have a true connection to a real God. If I have this guy in my corner pocket, there's nothing that can stop me. And it's like, wait, wait. But the dream talked about man's kingdoms, right? These man-centered kingdoms and how they're, they're all going to fail, and that in, in the future, at some point, God's kingdom will come on earth and destroy the whole thing. And he says that he looks at that thing and he goes, he goes, wait, 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 wait. So what you're telling me is, I got the golden kingdom? Yes. Right? He's like, I, I, gotta, I don't care about what's coming next. You just told me my stuff is gold. Like, uh, this, this is great. Babylon has now become the gold standard of earthly kingdoms. And I'm the man. Right? And now and now I got Daniel, this guy who's got all the connections and stuff like that, man, hook him up. Right? And, and this is just a little side note. This is why later on in Scripture, Babylon is used as the gold standard as metaphorically for all man-centered institutions, right, and, and ideas and cultures. You hear that, you know, the Babylon comes up over and over again. It's really helpful when you read the book of Revelation. But here, here it is. You know, right? Nebuchadnezzar doesn't care about the distant future. He doesn't care that, that God is coming someday. He cares only and cares about what's happening right now. And right now, he's the head of the golden kingdom. He's got the gold standard. I mean, he just decided to use Daniel like we want to use the stock market, right? I mean, I mean Daniel has become his housing bubble. I mean, he's, he's good to go. He's like, look, your God can do all that he wants all day long. As long as I'm living my life like it's golden. Man, I'm good. <laughs> so he didn't honor God with his heart. That wasn't there. He didn't take his rightful place in the world. But he continued to try to take the place that belonged to God. And that becomes really clear when you get into the next chapter, in the chapter 3. But listen, he says, um, but he says, it's something that each of us can easily slide right into. We can easily get there. 
to get our place, not honoring God, right? Lord, I've, I've, been, I've been trying to apply your kingdom priorities, your principles. I've been living and working for you, but these sacrifices and this hardship is too much. I can't do it, right? So then we're tempted to just dishonor God and, and get what we can right now. Like, I want it now. And, and, and when we get to that place, then we're, we're willing to, to burn ourselves and our friends and our family out so that we can just retire, right? And, and, and have that life that we've always wanted, to be able to live life our way. I mean, after all, don't we deserve it? Didn't we work hard? Don't we, don't we do? Oh, it's gone now. But, you know, don't, don't we deserve that? Just lean back on the sand, you know, have that retire early. Just live for ourselves. Don't we deserve that? But when you look at the cross of Jesus, and you see that he was the greater Daniel, revealing God's love for you, that in spite of our grotesque and godless dreams and our works and the way that they have harmed us and others and robbed God of his glory in our lives, Jesus stood in our place and was smashed to dust by God's wrath. And then he rose to include us in his eternal kingdom because God literally would not dream of a world without you and me. He just wouldn't do it. And so Paul says, the apostle Paul says, therefore, my beloved brothers and sisters, be steadfast immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, whether you're an artist, a manager, a mother, a missionary, whether you're 10 years old, 25 or 65, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. And that sounds like a mountain, doesn't it? Steadfast, immovable always abounding like a mountain. And that, God's beloved, is the great mystery of this dream. It is the great mystery of the whole dream of God's work. The mountain that will fill the whole earth is his people. His people. And the God of heaven will dwell with us forever if we would honor our Savior, then the work of our dreams is to see God's dream come true through Christ's work of grace within us. Amen. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for including us in the dreams of your work. Thank you, God, that what you see for us is renewed dignity. What you see for us is inclusion in your love. What you see for us is, you've dreamed for us is eternal life. And thank you, God, that you have been at work to make that dream come true through Jesus who died for us and rose from the dead so that we could be included in your future. We pray, oh God, that you would help us by your spirit to consider our work, to look at it and see, God, how we might be able to 
reimagine uh, uh, the kind of work that we're doing and, and, and how we're doing it and how it may better reflect your coming kingdom. Oh, God, we know that as we do it, we may sometimes get tired. Lord, you know, and we thank you, God, that Jesus is seated at your right hand and sympathizes with our weaknesses and constantly interceding for us, even by his spirit who interprets our groanings. And Lord, we do groan, we groan, we groan in our labors, we groan when, 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 when our homes aren't holding together like we wanted it to, we groan when our work isn't holding together like we wanted to, we groan when our communities are decimated by poverty and racism and exclusion and God we don't we 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 can't we can't hold it together but God you have declared that you will hold it all together and you will bring it to pass and that you alone will receive all the glory. We pray now oh God that you would help us to stare at the nightmare of outwork with eyes wide open not falling asleep, but seeing it, not trying to run from it, Lord, not medicating ourselves and, 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 and harming others just to try to get away from it, but, Lord, submitting it to you and realizing that underneath the light of your promises that there is hope and there is true change coming. And in God, that change is already here through Christ. Lord, we labor in hope. And we thank you that you have told us <laughs> that like Nebuchadnezzar, he was an evil man, but you are God, a holy and divine. His word stood firm for his people, but how much firmer is your word for us? That you are making all things new. And that everything that we labor for will count for something. We work with you. Oh, Father, your kingdom come, and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In Jesus' name, amen.